Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Well, since everyone is nice and quiet, I'll go ahead and begin. Maybe I can grab an extra minute or two. Today, we begin Lesson 12 and end with Lesson 12. Uh, The final lesson in this series next week, Brother DeMar Elam will be conducting our class. This uh, final passage in Colossians in chapter 4, verse 7 through the end of the chapter, may not seem like a particularly interesting passage because most of it is taken up with Paul uh, listing the various ones who are with him there in his Roman imprisonment and sending greetings from them to the church in Colossae. But I hope you will see after we take uh, a brief look at these that perhaps there are some things there that uh, commend these to us. Uh, These men that Paul will mention for the most part were, like ourselves, fairly ordinary people. Now Luke, of course, had a perhaps a particular reputation, but these men are, I would suggest, are ordinary Christians. So, Paul begins by sending greetings, and of course that's what the handshake that's shown here signifies. And he's sending greetings from his fellow workers there, and he names eight of them. Five of them are Gentiles, and Three of them are Jews, and he tells us that in the text. And each of them uh, has been supporting Paul's ministry in, in various ways. We don't know exactly what they were. Of course, he does mention the fact that they were a great encouragement and of support to him. So they were considered by him, and he uses that term, fellow worker. And that's a term that was, was unique uh, in that it referred only to those that were involved in spreading the gospel. It was not used as a term to refer to Christians in general. And Paul says they worked on behalf of or for the ends of, for the result that the kingdom of God would survive. And now notice... <clears throat> that Paul spoke of the kingdom as a very real and present reality. It's not like some folks suggest that the kingdom was yet to come. But the Gentiles that he mentions there are Tychicus, Onesimus, Epaphras. Uh, And he mentions also Luke and Demas. Tychicus, we remember Brother Glenn's sermon back in December about him. And I'll have a bit to say about him. Onesimus was a runaway slave that actually was from 
Colossae. And Epaphras was thought to have been the gospel preacher that helped to establish the church in Colossae. And of course, Luke, we know that name. He's the author of the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Then Demas. Demas, we know from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul mentions him and says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And I find it kind of interesting in this passage, he mentions Demas' name, and that's it. That's all he says about him. He doesn't uh, say anything else about Demas. Then he refers and mentions his Jewish colleagues there, and he identifies them as Jewish co-workers. And uh, he says, they were a great comfort to me. Now, uh, perhaps because they understood him, understood his cultural background, and so forth. Uh, Aristarchus, who he refers to as a fellow prisoner, Mark, who was John Mark, or Barnabas' cousin, he mentions that fact. Then there's Jesus, who was called Justice, that we know essentially nothing about. Now let's talk about some each of them, a few of them at least, fairly specifically. As I say, I know you remember some about Brother Glenn's sermon back on December the 10th, but let me read in beginning in verse 7 of Colossians 4. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. And let me say about that word in uh, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. In virtually every other translation, English translation of the New Testament, that word is not your, but rather it's our. So I think Paul is saying to these folks, he's going to tell you what's going on with us, what's going on with me. But he refers to Tychicus and others as beloved brother. It combines two words, the word love and brother, which of course is a, is a faith, is a close relative. So it was a term of affection, of, uh, of regard. And he tells them that the letter is being brought to them uh, by Tychicus and Onesimus. Remember Onesimus the slave. He uses the term faithful minister to refer to Tychicus. Uh, and one of the passages that I was looking up, parallel passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4, mentions that Paul sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Makes me think that perhaps uh, Tychicus was a little bit like Timothy. Remember, he sent Timothy to Corinth as a, as a kind of troubleshooter to deal with some of the issues there. And perhaps Tychicus was the same because he was going to Colossae and they had some problems either real or pending about this false teaching that, uh, that was uh, to uh, hit the church there. So I think he's sending him perhaps as a troubleshooter. It's interesting that he did not send Epaphras, who's the previous preacher from Colossae, 
but rather who was there with him also. Rather, he sent Tychicus, but he calls him a fellow servant. He was one who worked right along beside Paul. And that word servant is, a, is the word for slave. So he said he's a slave in God's service just like I am. And he's going to bring you news about our status. And he refers to the comfort uh, that uh, he was to them as well as the others also. Then Onesimus, he talks about Onesimus. He was, remember from Colossae also, he was a runaway slave that ran away from Philemon as described in the book of Philemon. He also is called a faithful and beloved brother. So apparently uh, Onesimus made it to Rome. He came in contact with Paul either while he was in prison there that's probably the case, and uh, or under house arrest, and was converted to Christ uh, as a result, and has become very valuable to him, to Paul and his his work. But this term brother is a <clears throat> is a term that's not used very much in the church nowadays. When I was just a pup, all of the men in the congregation referred to one another as spoke to one another, brother so-and-so, or sister so-and-so. Later, as time moved on, it seems like that title brother came to be used to refer to the preacher or maybe to the elders. And then it, for the rest of us, we just kind of dropped it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to know how do you, how do some of you view this term brother and perhaps its use? What do you think about that? Any thoughts? Yes, sir, Dan. You think it's appropriate for a fellow Christian to refer to them as brother? Yes. And that's certainly the term, the way that Paul was using and he was using it, I think, as a, as a word of respect and affection as well. Any other thoughts about brother or sister? social, whatever status of life, in Christ, they are a brother or a sister. Brother DeMar. You can travel 7,000 miles away from home 
you can walk into a building and you say, hello, brother, sister. Yeah. I mean, it's immediate. There's an immediate bond. There's an immediate fellowship. There's an immediate uh, uh, coming together of the mind, so to speak. It's just, I mean, it's family. And that, and that binds us together, that term, brother and sister. It is extremely important. Yeah. Brother DeMar points out and use science as an example, his travel as a missionary going into a strange place with people he's never seen or known before and they greet one another as brother and sister and there's a recognition of this immediate bond that's there uh, between you. Yes, Brother Jim. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just to build on that. There's no distinction of Yeah, yeah, oh, like me, right. <laughs> thank, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> That's all right. I, I look in the mirror every day. Uh, Jeff points out that <clears throat> the matter of not only leveling from an economic point of view, but also age, whether you're brand new in Christ or like me, been around for a few centuries. Either way, so all of those are really good comments. I'm not saying that we have to call one another brother and sister, but it is a pattern that we find in the Bible. And I think as the, point, as the points have been made, it, it has special meaning, it has special significance. Uh, behind it. Bill. Yes. Is, there, is it not potentially concerning that it does seem to be a phrase that has fallen somewhat out of favor given the fact that brother does also in t imply a bit of an obligation one towards the other. Um, I will listen to my I should listen to my brother in a way that I wouldn't necessarily listen to someone else. I mean we see that in families just like we would in the church, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why the term gets used. So, I, I personally have, have wondered if the reason it's fallen out of favor is because if I refer to somebody as my brother, I'm kind of implying a mutual obligation we have towards each other to watch out for each other as family, whether I'm the one who needs correction or they are. And these days, people have become, you know, more standoffish where they don't want to have to take that responsibility of hey, I need to watch out for them, and now I have the benefit of them watching out for me as well. Uh, another great point. Tom points out the, uh, the sense of obligation that the use of the terms brother and sister create for us. I, f I should feel more obligated to watch out for, care for my brother or my sister than I would John Doe that I pass on the street. Not saying to be uncaring, in either circumstance, but there is, again, that special bond that's created. Uh, I'm sure many of you who've traveled and gone other places in this country and others have experienced that when you go into a new congregation to visit. Well, these are all outstanding points, and I'd love to continue this discussion, but let us continue on. I think that's just one example of a nugget that's in this, in this uh, passage here about these greetings from these, from these brothers.
As I mentioned, Onesimus is a runaway slave. And we don't know anything about his background except the fact that he was a runaway slave. Uh, Whether he was an educated man or not, we don't know. It was not uncommon for Romans, for slaves in the Roman Empire to be well-educated because many of them served as as accountants or caretakers of money and stewards of the household and that sort of thing. So he may have been uh, educated because he was going to communicate to the church there in Colossae about the regards, with regards to Paul uh, and his situation. One of the interesting things about Onesimus is his name means profitable. And if you read the book of Philemon, Paul refers to him as he's profitable to me. So by becoming a Christian, Onesimus gets to live up to his name profitable. But he's going to tell them about, along with Tychicus, about the situation there with Paul. And one of the things that may have been involved in this traveling together, Tychicus, a free man, and Onesimus, a a runaway slave, was not unusual for slaves to be branded with some sort of mark that indicated they were indeed a slave. So, If you're trying to make your way from Rome over to Colossae, there is the strong possibility that you could be discovered and arrested by authorities. So maybe, and I'm just, this is just my speculation, maybe Tychicus was kind of a witness on behalf of Onesimus in their travels back so that he could uh, testify to the fact that he was on his way back to his master and to testify to the church that he was indeed a proven brother in Christ. Then I've lumped some of the other things that are are there into these, some of these final words that are found in verses 15 through 18. Uh, There are some greetings there uh, from Paul and also some exhortations. And in this, in this collection of verses, this is the only place in Scripture where one congregation, one church, sends greetings to another. And uh, Paul calls for them to publicly read to the church the letter that he's sending and exchange it with the church in Laodicea, which was a nearby town or city, I should say, Uh, perhaps about 10 miles away. And you may remember that Laodicea was one of the seven churches of Asia that's mentioned in Revelation. Paul asked them to pray for him uh, in his imprisonment. Several times along the way in his various letters, you read some very positive things that Paul seems to say about his imprisonment. Don't worry about me, everything's okay. But here you kind of get the idea, maybe he has a little bit of concern and anxiety about his own situation. And I may be reading too much into that, but he goes on to tell them, grace be to you. He's hoping that God's goodness will be extended toward them. Now, I want you to imagine 
with me that you are in the church in Colossae. And this letter is about to be read because what I'm going to do at the end of class, if we have time left, I'm going to ask you to stand along with me and we're going to read a few verses from this letter to Paul. So please prepare yourself to put yourself in the church in Colossae. So are there some applications? Well, yes, I suggest there are. First of all, uh, the idea of working together among these rather disparate group of men working with Paul, who I could imagine might be a rather demanding taskmaster. He was uh, known certainly for his severity in going after and persecuting Christians. I would assume that he's very serious about his work and he expected that of his co-workers. But nevertheless, they were his beloved brothers, his co-workers, his fellow workers. Uh, so these are some of the things that I noticed that, that come out of this discussion of these men. Uh, people can overcome their past. Onesimus certainly did that because of, his, uh, because of becoming a Christian. He went from being unprofitable as a runaway to becoming profitable. Uh, different backgrounds, Jews, Gentiles, uh, from different parts of the world, they can work together. And I think we here at West Huntsville demonstrate that as well. And other th the, another thing that comes from this, I think, is that we need to as members of the church, as Christians, as fellow workers, brothers, sisters, we need to stay focused on the kingdom. That's what Paul said about these men who were working with him. He said, what they are doing is for the kingdom. And that's a word that means, uh, that is a, a word of directional, of pointing. He is pointing to the fact that their work was toward the benefit, toward the furtherance of the kingdom. Something else that might be uh, gained from this, I think, is uh, mutual encouragement of one another in the church and missionaries. I was very gratified to hear Brother Neil mention very specifically some of our missionaries in his prayer. Uh, I think that is very commendable, the number of mission efforts this congregation supports. And I think it is to, all, to their benefit and to ours as well to remember and be aware of those and pray for those uh, and encourage and support them in other ways. I'm also gratified by the fact that our elders here insist upon knowing the status of the various uh, mission works. They insist upon having reports that come to them from these mission points so that they know whether there's success or there's great stress or there are problems and we can approach the Father on their behalf and in regard to those. So that's this concluding verse. I'd like to switch now to a quick review of some of the highlights that I see from the book of Colossians. 
I mentioned early on in the introduction the Colossian heresy, as some call it. Whether it was real or whether it was just something in prospect, I'm not able to discern. Others think it was very real. And there are certainly things in, in the words of Paul and his writings that suggest, to me at least, that he was feeling, feeling some sense of urgency, of concern about the matters there. And he goes into some detail to deal with what were apparently uh, concepts, principles, being advocated by these uh, false teachers. One of them seems to be that perhaps it diminished the nature, the uh, work of Jesus Christ because the whole book basically is about Christ uh, and his work and our relationship uh, with him. Uh, I mentioned Epaphras a little bit earlier. He had brought a good report. And so this was a faithful church, a good church, a good congregation. But at the same time, there were some, there were some difficulties. There were some problems. Uh, and so uh, even though we don't know specifics, there are some things in the text that suggest to us what the nature of this heresy might have been about. And that brings me to the next slide. These are some things that I see as strong hints as to the nature of this false teaching. Paul told the people there, said, don't let anyone judge you, or the word means to condemn. Don't let these false teachers condemn you. And he uh, cited several things that apparently they were using to try to move people away from the truth of the gospel. New moons, Sabbath, false humility, worship of angels, basic principles of the world, and uh, the regulations or commandments of men. Many of these concepts came out of paganism. Some of them perhaps from Judaism that they were trying to reinforce and bring into Christianity. But Paul says, these all perish with using They are corrupt. They tend toward destruction. They are useful, uh, useless rather. And he he goes on to point out that they uh, give a false sense of what's really important. He, He says they have the appearance of wisdom at, uh, but in in the end they are of no value. And that word appearance there is kind of interesting, it was to me anyway. If you look in the Greek and you transpose or transliterate the Greek characters into our characters that we use in our alphabet, it spells out the word echo. And if you think about what an echo is, it has basically no content except sound. So all of these guys, teachers, Yeah, there's a lot of sound there, but there's no real content to it. Now, whether Paul meant it exactly exactly that way, as I say, that's that's a, a use of the English word that we get from this. And actually, we get our English word from that same, or our English word echo from that same Greek word. If you look up in an etymological dictionary, you'll find that's the origin of it. 
So what Paul is doing in, in this, he's, he's offering a contrast between this false wisdom, what appears to have value but no real value. He's contrasting that with the wisdom of Christ, with the wisdom of the all-sufficient, the preeminent, the supreme Jesus Christ. And one of the other things that I saw by way of summary in the book is the emphasis on wisdom, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Christ. And he starts out in the book uh, telling the uh, brothers there that they need to pray for wisdom. And he also prays for wisdom for them uh, on their behalf. And he points out later that Christ is the storehouse. He's the silo, to use Tom's illustration, of all of the wisdom. And it uses that term all. And when Paul uses it, it is all-encompassing. So in this uh, context in the book, he goes on in verse uh, chapter 1 to verse 28 to talk about teaching in all wisdom. The wisdom of Christ is expressed in his word. And that's, of course, what we should be teaching. Uh, it's a storehouse. It's a resource that has no limits. And we can continue to probe its depths for a lifetime and never, never exhaust those. So it is indeed a storehouse of wisdom. And he goes on in chapter 3 and tells them, let the word dwell in you in all wisdom. The word, if it really does live in our hearts, if it really is implanted in our minds, uh, it's going to affect our lives. And as, as I've mentioned along the way, it's going to affect our relationship among one another as brothers and sisters with Christ our Savior with those people who are on the outside uh, as well who are non-Christians and he specifically mentions that walk in wisdom toward those who are outsiders and again in the context of relationships if we are not wise in our conduct and approach to those who are not Christians the likelihood that we will ever enjoy the relationship as a brother or a sister is not very high. We can, with our treatment, with our words, how we approach uh, others, either create a bond of relationship in Christ or we can help to push them away. Another thing in summary uh, of this book and I've emphasized this along the way and we've read it many times in effect looking at various passages that Christ is preeminent he is supreme he is number one and he gave a number of reasons this expression he is that's used in the text actually literally means he is God he is the image of the invisible God. He has the very nature. He has all the aspects of God. He also later on uh, used the 
refer to uh, Christ as the fullness. He has all the content. He is full in every regard of the nature of God. He is the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was the first human being. That means he outranks. He is number one in effect in terms of his relationship to all of us as creatures and to all of creation. He is before all and in him all things consist. Before meaning in the sense of uh, that he was uh, existed before creation even. And in him all things consist. In the power of his hand he upholds all of creation. Everything is upheld by the power that exist in the Father and in the Son. And he is the head of the church. This tremendous relationship that we enjoy with him, he's our guide, he's our example, he's the source of comfort, he's the source of providence, he's the source of all that we have in the church. And if we look at Jesus, there are some things that we can learn by knowing, by understanding his wisdom. We can know all about God. We can understand this world, this creation, and the destiny that God intends for it. And we can understand the role that we as human beings have as stewards of this world. But Jesus' work didn't end with creation did it we know that he's the head of the church he's the firstborn from the dead again this idea is not uh, the first one he was not the first person raised from the dead we know from the bible but he is the highest in position he is the supreme one he holds a position of honor in terms of those who have been resurrected from the dead And he is preeminent in all things. Then there is some more I'd like to highlight on his relationship with us in the church. Uh, In verse 19 of uh, chapter 1, it says, All the fullness of God uh, dwells in him. He is deity fully and completely. Uh, Through him, verse 20 of chapter 1, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace. He's the great harmonizer, the one that creates right relationships, brings peace to all of us. Uh, It was Christ who reconciled us back to God. He's the one who created that harmony that only we can have. He's the one that brought the peace of God uh, that is ours that's promised to us and I mentioned in our study this this idea of an umpire God's peace is an umpire it's in our hearts and helps us in our decision making to make right decisions right judgments in our relationships to God to Christ to one another uh, to our fellow man Verse 21, he says, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. 
We had a man before being Christians that did not have the wisdom of Christ. Now we have the peace of God and we can experience the wisdom of Christ through his word. In verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, Yet now he has reconciled. In the garden, the relationship with God was broken. Jesus Christ restored that relationship. In verse 22 of chapter 1, Through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Christ came, Christ died so that he could present us, bring us before his father and say, this is he or she is one of mine. He has made us holy. He's the one that will take us to heaven to live with the Holy Father. Two final points to make. In this book, this short book, Jesus is highlighted by giving these two reasons or these two things, these two points that I think are really important. To seek and set your mind, our minds, on things above. And he gives two reasons for doing that. The first reason he says, you are now alive in Christ. Set your mind, set your heart on things above because you are now alive. You were dead, but now you're alive. You're dead to sin, but you are now alive to Christ. And he goes on later in that same chapter to talk about all of the characteristics that one has who is alive in Christ, such things as compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, And if you think about it, all of those have to do with our relationship with one another, with God, uh, with people around us. And the second reason that he gives for setting our minds on things above is because you will be in glory. You will appear in glory with him. We can absolutely rest assured of being glorified with Jesus Christ. This is all part of this wisdom that is in Christ. Uh, And I thought of perhaps an alternative way to suggest or to consider these uh, or capture these two reasons that are given here. One of them is to think of uh, our goals. Our goals, number one, should be about where we'll be going. And number two, not about where we are. Where we'll be going, not where we are. Christ is, this is what the book is telling us. He's all sufficient. He's preeminent. Brother James, when I asked the question about what the book is about, in the very first class, he said, it's about Christ. And that's absolutely right. This great book, I think, even though short, because it deals so much and helps us understand so much about Christ, 
we should indeed focus our minds on things above. We should, uh, as the book suggests, in every day and in our relationship with God, with Christ, with the world, with one another, we should use this wisdom that we garner about Christ to help us in our relationships. Now I'm going to make one final request of you. Uh, Those of you who are able to stand, will you stand with me? And I'm going to read a short passage from the book of Colossians. If you would, please stand with me. And I want you to imagine yourself in Colossae. You know from the book of Philemon that one of the church houses, house church, met in Philemon's house. So imagine that you're in Philemon's house. Over here on this side of the room, there's Iodius, and on the other side, there's Syntyche because they, as Glenn pointed out, stuck their tongue out at one another. They're not speaking. And maybe in another corner over here, there's two or three brothers who are kind of, well, I wonder what Paul said about us in that letter. Did he mention this teaching that we're trying to do? Uh, But this letter is going to be read publicly and it's going to call all of those folks out. But in chapter 3, if you would, just imagine yourself hearing Philemon, he's called things to order, says, I'd like to have the letter read and I'm going to call upon my brother Onesimus to read this letter to you. My fellow slave, my brother, we are both slaves in Christ. Now, if you will, chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Would you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful to you for this little book that provides so much insight and understanding about our Savior. Father, we're, <clears throat> we're mindful that we do sometimes allow ourselves to lose focus. Help us, Father, to continue to focus our lives on Christ, who is above with you. Help us to focus our minds on his nature and on the things that he would have us to exhibit to one another and to the world around us. Father, we're mindful also that we're weak and we've drifted away from these things and we ask your forgiveness. We ask your continued strength and guidance to be with us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.